Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. And I only had short of one verse in the bulletin, which will be the text. I want to back up to verse 9 to begin the reading. We're using the title, Be Filled with the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which were done often secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest, that means made known, by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awaken thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Let us unite together in a moment of prayer. Father, as we gather together this morning, We must confess to you that not all of us are filled as we ought to be with your spirit. There are those here with heavy hearts and burdens, pains, the agonies of life as we must face them, with sickness, with remembering those who have lost loved ones, with burdens of family, with problems between husbands and wives and parents and children, those things on the job and in our social life, are all about us, Lord, that detract from our abilities to serve you as our hearts would like. We find ourselves falling short of your glory, short of your expectation, short of what could be in our lives where we filled with your spirit. Help us, Lord, to understand what this means and seek to have our lives completely full of your Holy Spirit. We might permeate every part of us during the bad times as well as during the good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I hope we will be able to see before this evening, this morning is over, the the contrast that I, I want us to notice between the way of life of the world or of the flesh as opposed to the way of the life of God, 
or of the Holy Spirit as he expects it in us. There certainly is a difference in the way the world is and what we as Christians ought to be doing. There needs certainly to be a distinction. There is a distinction. There is a change that has taken place in our lives as Christian people that makes us different from those who are yet unsaved. Our outlook, our thoughts, our beliefs are, are drastically different. I don't know what all of you did in your Sunday school classes this morning, but Clarence uh, Buskirk in our class made a very good point of the fact that the people who are not Christian will believe in and hold to the theory of evolution. That's natural. As opposed to the belief that we have that it is God who created the world and spoke it into being by, by his word. That in itself is enough to, to make a distinction between what we as Christian people adhere to and what those of the world would say that, that they believe. There certainly is a contrast between being filled with the Spirit and being possessed by the devil. We ought to be able to tell the difference. You will remember in the book of Acts, the very early portions of it, the second chapter as a matter of fact, that the Lord had already instructed, back in the Gospels we have this recorded, his disciples to go to the upper room and wait until they had been empowered with the Spirit. Now they didn't understand what that meant. But they went to the upper room and there for 40 days they waited for something. They didn't know quite what this experience was going to be. And finally the Holy Spirit came into that upper room and sat upon each of them, and they could look at each other and uh, see that the Holy Spirit was there as if it were a cloven tongue of fire, simply a physical symbol to say that something was happening within. And the fourth verse of the second chapter of Acts tells us that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And when they were filled, then there was a change that took place in their lives that caused them to act differently than they had been acting. They not only were waiting in that room for the coming of something, they were there because they were afraid. They were behind locked doors. They were scared that they were going to be arrested, taken off to jail, perhaps executed because of their faith in this person that had already been executed that everybody called Jesus of Nazareth. But when this event happened in their lives, the scripture tells us that they burst out of that room, evidently with no more fear, and they had a message. They went out on the streets and started preaching. And everybody in the, in the city began to hear of the thing that was going on here. And it was, it was noised about, the scripture says. You can um, take that one of two ways. That is, they heard the rushing of the wind. Or maybe more likely, it began to drift around that there was some 
unlearned people out here preaching on the streets in languages that everybody can understand from all over the world, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and, and people from Mesopotamia and on and on, on the list went, quite a number of them. And people gathered and said, these men are drunk. It's interesting that they were looked upon as being drunk when they were preaching the gospel. But when we realize the attitude of the world toward the preaching of the gospel, we can begin to comprehend it. I've had people say to me, and I'm sure uh, Brother Clarence, you've had the same thing spoken of you. You don't know what you're talking about. This is idiotic. Why would a group of people take out a nice Sunday morning and come to church to sit and listen to somebody talk about something that is nonsense? What we preach is nonsense to the world until the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and makes a change. Peter got up and said, These men are not drunk, as you are supposing. He went on to preach his sermon. He reminded them that God had promised back in the Old Testament, Joel, it shall come to pass, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit. Amen. Oh, well, something happened in the lives of these people. It was not conversion. They are already believers in Jesus Christ. They already accepted his resurrection. They already knew that he was the Son of God. They believed in him fully. They had not yet had the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Back in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come into the scene and depart from the scene happened many times, but in the New Testament, we have a different situation, and I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, as the first verse. When Paul speaks to the Corinthians and asks them a question, you mean you don't know? That's the way he begins, chapter 3, verse 16. Know ye not, in the King James, are you not aware of? Fact, fact, fact. You are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. Now, there is no fleeting in and out. Since the coming of the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and becomes a permanent dweller. Not coming in and out, but living within us. So, Paul is saying, are you not aware that you are the temple of God? It's the Holy Spirit that lives in you. I wonder those of you who have your Bibles open there to the 6th chapter of 1 Corinthians and the 19th verse. 
And he says a very similar statement, again asking the question as if he is amazed that they are not aware. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? You're not your own. Here is a fact that we Christians don't like to admit. When we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives, we ceased ownership of ourselves. And God became possessor of us. We do not belong to self. We now belong to God. And the evidence of that is the Holy Spirit lives within and has taken possession. We are permanently possessed of the Holy Spirit. Now, the question arises, though, is being possessed of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit the same thing? I want to suggest that there is a difference. It's talking about this filling that we really want to get into this morning. If you are a Christian, I want to say, you have the Holy Spirit in you, based upon the authority of the Scripture. But you or I or all of us or some of us could be sitting here this morning being possessed by the Holy Spirit and being empty of the Holy Spirit. That is not being filled. Does that make sense? Is there a contrast there that's difficult to understand? I hope that we can see what that means here this morning. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, let me first of all say that there is something that it does not mean. There are lots of people who want to go to church for the purpose of uh, getting a good feeling. It's uh, like a person who is addicted to drugs who needs a fix. And when he gets that fix, he feels good. So they tell me. That's the way I see it on television when somebody shoots up with drugs and they put it in their veins or, or whatever that, you know, that stuff they do with it. And all of a sudden, they are on cloud nine. Not a care in the world. Everything is beautiful and fine. There are lots of people who want a spiritual fix. That is, they want to get what they think is a filling of the Holy Spirit, and everything is bubbly and good. It becomes nothing more than an emotional high that as soon as something chops at the feet of that emotional high, that person falls to the bottom again, just like losing the effect of the drug upon a drug addict. Listen, if it is only for our 
we can get out and feel good about it, we have lost the point of the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not to give us a quick fix, an emotional high, a lovey-dovey feeling, and that's all. There's something more to it than that. We are commanded to be filled, not offered the opportunity to be filled in the Scripture. I've had lots of people say, very honestly, Just as long as I get to heaven, I'm not going to be worried about any rewards. Just let me get there. Let me tell you something. If you're just worrying about getting to heaven, and you're not worrying about whether you get any rewards or not, you're going to be one of the most disappointed people that the world has ever seen once you get to heaven. we sit around the Christmas tree and mom and dad put presents on the tree and every child has tremendous expectation as to what they're going to receive. And then there is a child, I've seen this happen in schools, it filled my soul and I made sure after I saw it the first time it never happened again, there was a child who didn't have a present on the tree. He wasn't just happy to be there. Never did I hear one of those children at school say, well, I'm just glad I'm here when everybody else got present. There was a disappointment. I remember a child, and when I was a child, and was getting one of those presents from under that tree at school, that a child who was not going to get one put a present under that tree with his name on it from himself. And I remember the present well. It was an orange. In order that he might be called to come up to the front of the room and receive a present, he wasn't just glad to be there. He wanted something. I'm telling you, if you take the attitude that you're just going to be glad to be there, there's one or two things that's true in your life. That is, you are walking in opposition God, or you're not saved at all. Because the object of a Christian is to serve God, to provide good works that we might not be glorified, but that God in heaven might be glorified by what we do. We're going to stand there and be delightful in what we have been able to do for God, or we're going to stand there disappointed because we have nothing to present to God with our lives. And I can't think that's very favorable for a Christian to stand empty-handed when he's had the opportunity to do something for God. There's a term that is used, it's picking up in its, its use, called mindset. We all have a mindset. Our minds are set in a certain direction. Let me ask this question and you answer it in your own mind and heart. 
What is your real goal in life? You know what it is. We all have our minds set on what we're going to achieve. And it will change depending upon your age and sex uh, and various times in life as a 15 uh, years and 11 months and 29 days. Your mind is set on getting a driver's license. And there's nothing more important in all this world than being able to be the right age now, I guess you can be getting a 15 or something. Then a girl has her mind set on becoming the most beautiful bride. A boy has his mind set on getting an automobile or getting a job. And then the Changes come along, and we have our mind set on a house, or uh, on a better job, or on a vacation, or and then retirement comes, and our mind is set to have everything fixed so that we retire, and then we'll be good and, and nice in our lives. All those things are fine. But I want to ask you, is that your mind set? Did I get one of those in your life, or did you have a slightly different and if you pick any of that group, I'm telling you, you're living in opposition to God. For our mindset is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and Him only. And all of these other things will be secondary and not a part of our fighting effort to gain something in this life. We're not going to serve Him as we ought to serve him, unless we're full of the Spirit. And here's where I'm coming to my point, I hope. Unless a person is permeated with the power of God, his mindset is going to be on the wrong thing. Let's look at the word fill. The Scripture says, be filled with the Holy Ghost. To be filled with the Holy Ghost, let me use three illustrations. Put in your mind, this is a picture. And from that picture is flowing water, and here is a glass. Yeah. Who's pouring the water? Who is the water? And who is the glass? I'm suggesting to you that God, who is pouring the Holy Spirit, you and I are the container of the glass. And he wants to fill us. Well, no, we put a cover of it. Ah, that's nothing. Just two fingers. I don't know how that ever got started. But I've had people say, give me two fingers of coffee. I have an ocean stick my fingers, two fingers in the cup. No, I'll not do that. That's a measurement. I want a half a cup. I had a cup in my office one time, cut right in half and two, and sit on the side. You just asked for a half a cup. You want a half a cup. Until we're full 
class. Piece of steak. I already had this in my notes, class. You didn't give me this. I already had that. Take a piece of steak, and, and what, do, what do most of us do? We start the salt shaker. Or potatoes. My grandfather used to say about his mustache that he wore, he always wore a mustache, that um, the girls used to tell him that he was young, a kiss without a mustache was just like mashed potatoes without salt. <laughs> I've heard him tell me that hundreds of times. Mashed potatoes without salt is terribly blamed. I don't know about kisses without mustaches. I never had anybody tell me that. God wants our lives to be completely seasoned with his spirit so that every part of our life has been affected by, by his Holy Spirit like our potatoes or meat has been affected by the, by the salt. That's what being filled means. Or oh, take another illustration. I was going to bring a glove this morning to use this, and I went off and left it. But imagine putting a glove on your hand. It's completely engulfed in something. You can't see the hand. That's what it means to be completely full of the Holy Spirit, and that is that you are completely enclosed inside, engulfed in, covered up by, completely saturated, completely full of the Holy Spirit. That's what filling actually means. Now, you remember when Stephen was stoned? And uh, he was heard to say to God in a prayer as a stone replying, do not lay this to their charge. You mean to tell me that a man would pray to God not to punish the guy that kills him? Stephen did it. What made it possible for him to assume that attitude? The scripture says if somebody slaps you on one cheek, let him slap you on the other one. If he makes you go one mile, voluntarily go a second one with you. If he takes your coat off, give him your shirt too. No, sir, I'm not about to do that. But if somebody slapped me on one side, I'm going to throw my fist and he's going to do that. I tell you, when that is our attitude, we're not full of the Holy Spirit. For full of the Holy Spirit will allow us to take abuse and pray as we're taking abuse. Father, forgive them. That's what being full of the Holy Spirit means. Paul on the road to Damascus was struck down with a blinding light that blinded him. And there he was converted on the road. But, and then Paul said, Saul at that time, what, uh, Lord, what would you have me do? And he said, you go on into the town, and there you'll be told you what to do. And God spoke to one of his servants, Ananias, and told Ananias to go to Paul. And Ananias came to Paul and told Paul that he had been sent to so that he could receive his sight, but secondly and more importantly, in order that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul had been saved by the power of God through the death of Christ on the cross and had salvation, and now he was going to get a filling from God that was going to empower him to send him out to preach the gospel. Paul didn't have that yet. He didn't have the filling. He was to get it. There is a need for us as Christian people who have the presence of 
of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be filled with that power that he's got. We don't have that as we ought. There's more to this thing of being possessed by the Holy Spirit and it's being filled by the Holy Spirit. We say so often and, and really live this way, well, all that's necessary is that you be saved. Well, listen, that's extremely important. That's step number one. But it is also extremely important that once a person is saved, that he begins to live the life that is demonstrated by his salvation. And that's the feeling. Now, if a person's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there are several things that need to be done, but I'll, I'll just mention probably three. And that is, first of all, he's going to have sin. I'll tell you that the cup will be empty until sin is confessed. Nobody is going to properly serve God as Stephen did in praying for his tormentors until he has devolved his life of knowing sin. This is one another mistake that we as Christian people make in thinking that we can cover all our sins with one little statement and say, Lord, forgive me my sins, amen, which is at the end of our grace prayer. And think, that's going to cover everything. It doesn't cover anything. Nothing at all. There must be a real com uh, confession of sin if we're going to be in the power of God. Secondly, there must be a surrender of our will, and I've already alluded to that. Most of us want to be in control of our own lives and I'm my own man, and don't you tell me I have to do this or so. I hear that every day of the week on the job. This is my property. I'll do with it as I please. And don't you first make it up. you ever say that? I have that said to you all the time. But you see, the problem is, when we take that same attitude with God, we can't expect to have our cup full and, and sing, Fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up, Lord. But don't you ask me to do anything that I don't want to do because I'm my own man and I'll do my own thing. That's contrary. The way to be full of the Spirit of God is total surrender. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I freely give. Most of us have not been willing to come to that point in our lives of total surrender. Total surrender. When we put to death our self-will, and it makes no difference in our lives what we want, it's only what God wills. I think I only have met one person in my life that I believe exemplifies that. There was a preacher by the name of Brown many, many years ago. I know he's dead. He was old then, and that's been 30 years ago. But he taught a class on prayer to a bunch of preachers. I was just a young preacher. And I have never forgotten him nor his attitude. But I believe he exemplified the surrender of his will completely and totally to God. And the way he talked, he was saying, it makes no difference what happens to me or to my property. It all belongs to God, and if God wants to do whatever with it, it's perfectly all right with me. But we want to hold on to our time, to our money, to our talents, and all of those things, and we want to dictate what we do with what. Listen. 
As long as we're calling the shots, God cannot fill up our cup. It's only when we yield fully and completely to God can He begin to fill us with His power. Peter was capable of walking on water until he began to lose sight of the Lord and start looking about his own affairs. And then he began to see. And there's where we are. We lose sight of of Jesus Christ on the cross. And therefore, we begin to think about our own circumstances and poor little me and my little circle. And all that happens right here is all that's important. And our eyes are down and never looking upon Jesus. We can't be filled with the Spirit when we are so involved and engrossed in our own little affairs that we forget about Christ. That's what we do. When they were in Gethsemane, Jesus was about ready to be arrested. Peter bowed through his sword and he reached out and he was going, he would have died that night for his Lord. He was willing to fight to the death with the sword in his hand. For, the, for his Lord was standing there and he's going to fight for his life. Then they took him away and Peter went and stood around the fire and a little girl who attended the fire and the, and the gate, said to him, you're one of his, aren't you? No, sir, not me. Scared to death, he had lost the presence of the Lord. He was inside behind locked doors, and here Peter was standing outside, and now he cannot do what he would have done had the Lord been standing there. But that all changed at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came down, it all changed. And I want to conclude. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Paul speaks to the Galatians and he says this. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Notice that? All the affairs of the flesh, the desire for all the things that we have, will be lost if we're walking in the Spirit. Verse 17, For the flesh lusteth after the Spirit, and the Spirit against, I'm, I'm sorry, the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, and you're not under the law, well, I'm not going to deal with that. Now go down to verses 24 and 5. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the afflictions and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit. How much of your cup is full? Is there any water at all in it? Or is it home dry? Are there two fingers, half full, or is it full and running over? It will only be full and running over when one is willing to live in the Spirit, to make one's life match what God wants, to lose self-control and to take ourselves out of the picture and surrender it all to Him, confess our sins, 
then he can begin to fill us up and give us that good feeling that we ended up, that we started with, and we really don't keep unless we have surrendered our life to him. Take a little out of our personal desires and give them over to him. Then we'll be full of the Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.